Many of us have those stubborn pounds that seem impossible to lose, no matter how good we eat or how hard we work out. My solution is Plush Care. Plush Care is a leading telehealth provider with doctors who are there for you day and night to partner with you in your weight loss journey. They can prescribe FDA-approved weight loss medications like Wagovi and Zepbound for those who qualify. Plus, they accept most insurance plans. To get started, visit plushcare.com slash weight loss. That's plushcare.com slash weight loss. Hello and welcome to the Addicts Anonymous podcast. I'm your host, Jamar. Today's episode 175, and we're going to be interviewing Zach. How you doing, Zach? I'm good. How are you doing, Jim? I'm doing well. I'm excited to do this. How about you? I am excited. And uh, for transparency purposes, I am a little nervous. A little nervous. That's okay. We're all a little nervous sometimes. So let's get started. Uh, and tell me about your childhood and growing up. Um, I grew up um, first 10 years with uh, my mom and my dad and two sisters. Um, and you know, at the time, just being a kid, it seemed just like a normal childhood. Um, and I mean, I guess in some, in a lot of ways, it's, I still view it that way. Um, but the older, the older I get, the, I see it a little different looking back. Um, and things I've learned growing up, looking back on my childhood, um, I realize that there wasn't a lot of uh, feelings being shared in the household. Um, it's just not something that happened. And I also, you know, parents are supposed to shield their children from things. Uh, I think my parents went to the extreme. Um, they, they shielded me from so much stuff that I think I got a false sense of, of relationships. Um, what kind of stuff would they shield you from? I never once, uh, even to this day, I never once have seen my parents have a disagreement. And I know that's not true. It's happened. <laughs> They're people. Um, and not to say that you should fight in front of your kids, but I never saw, um, I never saw the reality of stuff like that. It was all perfect looking. Um, and just to jump ahead real quick, uh, when I was in my first marriage, um, things were not perfect. And I thought, what am I doing wrong? Uh, because I had this sense that everything should be perfect, just like mm -hmm. my parents. I didn't um, think about that. And I felt like I was failing. Um, and, and there were probably lots of things that I could have done better. Um, but, I, but I did have this false sense of what things should be like. And it really messed with me. Um, so yeah, going back, um, I was just, I was shielded from a lot of that stuff. And yeah, so there was, there was no conflict that I witnessed. There was. Um, Where did the kind of stuff would they shield you from besides that? Um, I said mostly it was, it was conflict and feelings just they okay. were those were just non-existent in the home um and i had feelings but i think i learned through the years to 
shut them down or try to shut them down, uh, you know, in one way or another. Um, and as a kid, you know, I had my own ways, fantasy land playing. Um, but the older I got, the more those things morphed into more unhealthy ways to do that. Um, so, and I didn't think, I didn't think much of it. Um, you know, when, uh, so I, yeah, I didn't declare this, but I am a sex addict in recovery. And when I was nine years old, I went to a barber shop with my dad and, um, we were both getting our hair cut. I hadn't been to the barber shop with him ever before. So this was a, a new big thing for me. Um, so he's getting his hair cut and I'm in the chair next to him and I'm getting my hair cut and they go over to the, to the Pepsi machine and reach up to the top of the Pepsi machine and pull out, what do you know, a Playboy and hand it to me. So I'm browsing through a Playboy at nine years old. Um, oh, wow. And my, Young. my dad says, don't tell your mother. So I'm learning at an early age that, you know, here is sex related stuff and it's a secret. <laughs> um, and it just kind of formed that way in my head. And so uh, once I finally um, discovered, you know, for really for the longest time, I, I, I did not masturbate. I didn't think it would work for me. Um, so I never bothered. <laughs> and then I found out one day that I was wrong. Um, and ever since then, it was just off to the races. Um, and, you know, it was just looking at pornography um not just pornography because there's that's huge uh not just for a person who's abusing it but for all the people involved in that whole industry it's it's a tragedy really um and i would go to little peep shows um 10 minute peep shows wherever i could um, I'd go to a dirty movie theater, uh, sit, you know, in the theater all the way off the corner by myself. Um, and I'm thinking it truly sincerely thinking to myself throughout all of this stuff that, you know, this is, this is normal. Everybody has in a desire. In those theaters were men masturbating. Yes. I was even propositioned by an elderly gentleman as I was leaving. Uh, once, uh, which I did not take him up on the offer, but, um, you know, I'm thinking to myself, he's a, he's a creep. He's a weirdo. Um, and it's not clicking to me that this is the environment that I'm putting myself into. Um, and that, yeah, I'm, I'm thinking that everybody has these desires. Everybody wants to do these things. They either don't do them because they're embarrassed, uh, which it's, it's a shame that they're so embarrassed about their own sexuality. Uh, it must suck to be them. Um, you know, I'm more free and open with it. This, these are all the things I'm telling myself. Uh, and I believed them. Um, I would masturbate to a point of injury. Um, and then I would be forced to take a break. <laughs> it, it was just... It was just you, if, if you don't mind me asking, how would you injure yourself? Would you get bruised or something? Um, it would, my skin would get dry and it'd get to the point where it then start cracking and bleeding. Gotcha. Which was very sharp pain. Um, 
I can imagine. Yeah. So, you know, I would go to go to strip clubs. Um, I didn't have a whole lot of money when I was younger. So that didn't happen a lot, but I did it whenever I could. How young were you getting into the strip clubs? 20. 21. Okay. No, I had to be 21. So yeah, 21. It was as soon as I could. Um, so things were escalating. Um, and again, I just thought this was normal stuff. Everybody does it. Nobody talks about it. Um, I'm just living going, my life. Going back a bit. So you saw your first pornography at nine. After yes. that, were you able to attain any more to, you know, like where did, how did it grow from there specifically? Um, yeah, there was a, there was a time span where there was nothing because I was nine, you know, yeah. I didn't have access to my own and it was 1979. So there was no internet access. Um, so there was a time span where that just kind of went away. Um, but when I was 14, um, I saw in the grocery store that there were Playboys up just with the magazines, just out with the magazines. Um, and I wanted one. I couldn't buy one. I was only 14, so I stole one. Uh, had that. Um, my sister found it. I was afraid she was going to tell my mom. So I ran across the street and threw it in the creek. And this is up north in the winter. So it got wet and it froze. And I mean, it was not 24 hours later, I was back in the creek digging for it to get it back. Um, so, you know, I'm starting this, I'm starting this theme of, uh, or what became a theme of, I want to stop this, but then I can't follow through with that. I can't follow through with stopping, uh, cause I'm back to it, trying to find it in the Creek. And I did, I found it and I brought it home <laughs> and it thawed out and the pages were all messed up cause I had gotten wet, but I had it back. Um, so yeah, it was, uh. It was magazines like that that I could get my hands on um, until really I was 26 when the internet really exploded. Um, and then it was all over from there. It was just, it was pornography every day. Um, and, you know, I would tell myself, uh, I'm only going to, I'm only going to look for 15 minutes. Um, and that never happened. It was always some extended period of time uh and just like magazine i would tell myself okay i'm done i've got to be done with this there's things i need to do um and i would shut it down and i'd be back in five minutes pulling it all back up going, why didn't i just leave the window open <laughs> why am i going through all this work again i know i'm coming back to this um so yeah the, the internet really and i have a feeling that there's probably a lot of stories like that uh, where once the internet um well i mean that's to the for, average person yeah for a sex addict that's like the floodgates of pleasure opening up very good way to put it yeah um so yeah there's escalation there um and then you know when i was married um can you tie this back to anything in childhood that gave you this over excitement um <clears throat> Not in childhood, I don't think. I don't recall that really until I was older. Um, I do remember I was confused. I would see um, 
what well, I went to my dad and this is about, I was like maybe nine or 10. Um, and, and however, whatever words I used, I expressed to him that when I saw a pretty girl that, you know, my privates got hard and I didn't know what was happening. Um, that's, that's my first recollection of the opposite sex having an effect on me physically. Um, and, you know, that's normal. Um, but I, I was to ultimately abuse it uh, in order to keep all these feelings at bay uh, that kept trying to creep up. Um, I was in such denial. Um, I thought that I was dealing with my feelings, um, but it was all surface stuff. But, you know, I, I had such little experience with feelings that I didn't even, I didn't really know. I didn't recognize, put it that way, that my feelings were, um, were being buried. Um, I had some surface feelings and I thought that those were feelings because um, that's all I really ever had. Uh, and now that I'm in recovery, um, as one of my therapists said, um, buried feelings never die, uh, that they, they're there, they've just been buried and they come back to the surface and they have been, and I'm going, Oh, these are feelings. Okay. Um, you know, I did, I did skip maybe an important aspect, um, on accident. Uh, when I was 10, my parents divorced and my dad did what I would never do. Um, he bought me a lawnmower and said, I need to mow the lawn now. Um, I'm the man of the house at 10. <laughs> um, you know, I love my dad and he's a smart guy. Uh, but I think that that was a bad move on his part. Yeah. Um, putting that it kind of pressure. Like, yeah. It must've felt like the weight of the world on you. Right. So now I got to take care of things. And then to make matters worse, uh, my mom started including me in roles as I got older that I should not have been in. Like my younger sister, uh, you know, there, there was problems at school. And so my mom would have a school meeting with her, with her teachers and with my sister's teachers. And my mom would bring me um, almost in place of my dad. Um, and I had another therapist who called that emotional incest because I, I'm being pushed into a role um, of almost an equal with my mother, particularly concerning then the other siblings, you know? Um, and again, at the time, I didn't think much of it. I thought I was just being helpful. Um, but yeah, it was only in my adulthood that I learned that term. Um, and I'm like, in the description of it, I was like, yep, that's, that's that describes what I went through. Um, See, so yeah, I thought that was important to uh, to clarify in all of this because that's got to play a role. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, in, 
Um, so as you got older, how did this, you know, going on from, you know, early teens around that age, how was this manifesting itself? Did it get worse? Was there anything going well, on? When, yeah, there was the strip clubs and there was pornography. Um, and when I got married to my first wife, um, we eventually um, started to swing. And that was something that I had pushed. Um, and I don't necessarily think, I, I don't think she would have done it all on her own if it wasn't for me. Um, but she did agree to it. And that really spelled the beginning of the end uh, of that marriage. Yeah, um, I can imagine. So there's, you know, I, I do view that as an escalation of this behavior. Um, what was the re why do you think you wanted to do that so bad? It was, um, it was like this deep rooted need for satisfaction um and that that was just like uh an instant or at least thought of it was you know instant gratification uh, for that need uh, it it satisfied that um and, and it wasn't just the act of doing it it was the ritual of looking through profiles of people who you know do that and trying to contact people and doing like a back and forth conversation, um, maybe going to meet in person uh, once just to see how you feel about the other people. Um, the, the whole ritual uh, played a part in satisfying this need that I had. Um, but yeah, we, we ended up divorcing and, um, you think, that played a part, you think that played a part in the divorce? Yes, definitely. Um, I remarried and I was still looking at pornography. My second wife told me that she was not comfortable with pornography and um, still having no idea that, you know, I, I have any kind of addiction. Um I told her, well, if that makes you uncomfortable, I won't, I won't do that. And I meant it. Um, and once again, you know, I walk away and then I'm right back to it. Um, this time now it's behind her back. Um, and then she would find out and I would, I know I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. And I would stop for a little bit. And then I'd go right back to it behind her back. And this was just a cycle that just repeated over and over. Um, and then finally after it was it was years um was there a reason she asked you to quit yeah she just didn't she didn't like the idea of it she didn't like the fact that i was looking at other women uh, in a sexual getting satisfaction from it and not her um but i think also that you know she she knew that there was a lot of um what's the term um sex trafficking things like that and you never know what you're going to get when you're looking up stuff online um and like have i viewed uh, any pornography that was you know someone against their will i don't know that for sure 
but is it possible? Most definitely it's possible that I participated in that. Um, and, and she, yeah, she, she, the whole thing made her uncomfortable. Um, also for that reason, that the whole industry is just shady. It's, it exploits innocent people. Um, and it made her very uncomfortable that I was a part of it in any way. Uh, I went on to um, to ratchet that up in a <laughs> much more, um, how do I say it, uh, a larger degree. Um, because it, eventually uh, it seemed like the, the pornography just wasn't enough. And you know, my, my mother and my sisters suffer from bipolar disorder. And so does my daughter. And it seems to have skipped me. Um, so I was very grateful for that. Uh, but in 2019, um, I had, I remember it clearly. Um, I had a moment where just something clicked in me from one moment to the next. Um, something changed. It's very hard to explain. Um, but looking back, I believe that uh, I, I dropped into a manic rose into a manic state not knowing that i that i did have bipolar disorder i thought it i thought it skipped me um because you know i'm at the time 49 years old and i've never had any problems with it um i'm good to go but there is late onset bipolar disorder and i got it <laughs> <laughs> and when that happened it was like a perfect storm of addiction and mental health which is very common for both of those things to come together and just be a disaster. Um, and my pornography use escalated overnight to looking for hookups online, um, looking for massage parlors online, going to massage parlors cruising streets for prostitutes and picking them up, um, finding prostitutes with online profiles and picking them up that way. Um, just really over, you know, um, over text, um, and, and meeting up with them and really, this sounds crazy, uh, but really thinking that it's not that big of a deal. Um, I, it's amazing to me that I thought that. And the weird part is that I remember thinking it. I remember how I felt when I thought it was no big deal. Um, and it just boggles my mind that I could think that because I don't think that today, <laughs> but I'm thinking, you know, I, my, my head is clear, uh, at least a lot more than it was. Um, bipolar disorder is addressed with medicine and I see a therapist uh, and I do 12 step work and, um, that seems to have done wonders. Going back a little bit, did you ever have employment issues because of this? Um, no, but I could have, I think I just got lucky is all that was, um, I would look up some stuff on my work laptop that I probably shouldn't have. 
Um, and then I did get nervous about that and I shut that down, um, that behavior that is, and uh, nothing ever came of it. So I think I got, I got lucky in that regard. Yeah, this goes to show you how dumb we could be, the fact that you're even using that laptop for that. Yes, yeah. I could make myself believe that, well, this doesn't count because of this and that. It's, yeah, it's ridiculous. The denial is amazing. So at what point did you recognize that you had a problem? Um, it was, I think it was November of 2019. Um, I remember laying in bed thinking about the things that I was doing, the prostitutes, the massage parlors, um, and thinking to myself, there were, there were times of clarity where I'm just like, what am I doing? Oh my God. I mean, and, and, and eventually one morning uh, I woke up and my wife woke up and I just looked over and out of the blue, I just told her, Hey, you need to know I've been looking at pornography. I've gone to massage parlors and I've seen prostitutes just like that. It's kind of like I'm, letting her know, you know, what's on the plan for today. <laughs> and she was just, I remember that her response was so little because I think she was in shock. Um, it was almost like a, okay. And that's about it. <laughs> um, that's not how it stayed, <laughs> but, you know, cause it finally sunk in and um, it, <clears throat> needless to say, I almost got divorced. Um, I am I am so grateful that my wife um, showed me the grace that she did because she knows that I'm a sex addict. Um, and I mean, she has her boundaries. She also is very committed to our relationship and um, she's not quick to run. Um, but there were definitely times where it was, it seemed like it was just obvious that it was over. Um, what were so those that times? Was what would happen? The times you oh, thought it was over, what were you? Fighting and yelling, um, because I was still not in recovery, even though I told her this stuff, I was not in recovery. Um, and then I would go out and I would do it again, um, even after I told her. And even though I, I told myself, I'm not going to do it anymore, <laughs> I'm doing it. Here's this pattern of my inability to stay stopped. And of course, she's like, this is unacceptable. And I'm like, well, that's fine because I'm leaving anyway, you know, and I'm packing my stuff up and I'm loading up the back of the truck with boxes. And then as soon as the truck is packed, I'm exhausted. Um, and so I'm going to go and I'm going to sleep in the guest room and I'll leave tomorrow. And then tomorrow I change my mind and I unpack all my boxes. I can't tell you how many times this happened packing boxes and unpacking boxes um and then uh, finally there was uh there was a course at the meyer clinic here in dallas um called is, it was a is the, is the meyer clinic a rehab facility um they do they do all sorts of things um they do 
therapy and they have psychiatrists um, and they're Christian based. I'm, I'm not really Christian per se, but um, they don't really, my therapist that I saw there, he, he didn't really go a Christian route, but he is a sex addict. Uh, He was in recovery for nine years. Um, So it was, it was nice to be able to talk with somebody who experienced some similar things that I experienced. Um, And he was running an IOP program. Um, It was like, I'm trying to think how long it was, six weeks, six week program, uh, Patrick Carnes program uh, for sex addicts. And my wife asked me if I would take that course and I thought about it. And then I said, no, uh, I don't want to take it because I just want to keep living my life the way I'm living it. I'm happy this way. (laughs) Um, and you know, she was pushing me to do it. My daughters were pushing me to do it. And I was like, no, I'm not doing it. And I don't, I don't really know exactly what happened to change my mind, maybe divine intervention. I don't know. Uh, but for some reason I changed my mind and I did it. I start out, I'm going to start it. I'm going to see what happens. Um, and I did the whole course and I did learn a lot. Um, I still, um, relapsed a few times after that. Um, but then about nine months ago, almost 10 months ago, um, I decided I need to get back into 12 step work because all these other things I'm trying is not working. Um, what are the types so, of things were you trying? Oh, just, uh, therapy. Um, and like the IOP program, um, just white knuckling, um, uh, journaling, trying to just keep on top of my feelings. Um, and it just, it didn't seem to be working. I kept having troubles. I would relapse and I would go back to pornography. Um, and uh, so I, I was like, okay, I, I did have experience with 12 step in the past. Um, and that was the longest that I had sobriety um so it seems to work the best at least for me based on everything i've tried so i'm going to go back to that and i've been doing that like i said for like nine or ten months um and i have almost 10 months of sobriety now um, which is kind of a long time compared to what i was getting before i went back to the 12-step group and working the 12 steps so the 12 steps have worked for you. Yes. <clears throat> so There's, what is considered, yeah. I guess I'm ignorant to this, what is considered sober for a sex act? Are you masturbation, nothing, or how does that work? Nothing. Nothing. Nothing, yeah. Um, you know, I mean, I sex is not off the table with my wife. Um, uh, but yeah, any kind of... Um, selfish sexual pleasure i mean if it's just for me uh, which would be masturbation um yeah that's that's no good um 
because that's where I start losing myself in my mind is this selfishness. <clears throat> and so I just need to st stay away from any kind of selfish behavior, whether it's sexual or not, really. Um, but I, mean, I guess it would be great if everybody stayed away from selfish behavior. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's absolutely. just a great way. Uh, so. It's a good way to look so, yeah, at life. Yeah. So how do you maintain your sobriety nowadays? Um, well, every day well, I, I've gone through steps one through nine. So I've done my amends. Actually, I have one amend that I have left to do. Sorry. Uh, when I'm doing that on the 15th, um, I had, uh, I'd been driving while intoxicated throughout some of this time in my life. And so, um, I'm trying to raise money for walk for mothers against drunk driving. And I'm doing a 5k walk with my daughter on the 15th. Um, and that's my, that's my amend for the driving while intoxicated. I could just throw money at mothers against drunk driving, but I wanted to do something more than that. Um, so, I mean, there is money involved because I'm trying to raise money. Um, but it's, it's more than just, oh, I'm going to write a check and be done with it. Um, so I'm trying to raise the money and I'm doing the walk with my daughter. I'm glad that she's participating, uh, with me. Um, and then, so, so then daily from here on out, you know, um, I try, I do uh, 10 through 12, try to the best I can every day. I'm improving my conscious contact with my higher power and I'm trying to find people that I can help. Uh, be of service to and that's i part of like doing this interview i hope people uh watch it and hear it and maybe somebody might identify with it um maybe somebody is is watching this who's a part of the uh facebook board who is kind of quiet and doesn't participate and maybe this will jump out at them i don't know um so yeah uh, i'm sponsoring prisoners um through letter writing um, and then trying to sponsor in person when I can, but I haven't had any of those yet. So that's what I'm doing uh, on a daily basis. That's great. Sounds like you're doing good stuff. Thank you. It, it makes a difference. Definitely. I feel like I'm part of something that's bigger than myself and boy, that feels good. Yeah, no, I understand that. I could understand that. So did you have anything else you want to throw in? I'm sure I'll think of something as soon as we're done. <laughs> <laughs> no, I think this has been a great interview. Um, I'm just trying to think. I don't think I have any other questions for you. So okay. if you've got nothing else to uh, say, I guess we can wrap it up. No, I think I'm good. I think that's it. All right, my friend, sit tight for me. And Thanks, for everybody watching and listening, if you like what you heard and saw, go below and give us a like. Also, subscribe to see when we upload new videos. You can check us out on Twitter, Reddit, Instagram, TikTok, Tumblr, Facebook. That's just to name a few. We're pretty much on everything. You can also check out our website, which is www.addicts-anonymous.com. There you will find plenty of free literature as well as resources. We also have a book coming out. should be out within the next six weeks or so. I'll keep you guys updated on that. That's all we have for today. I hope you enjoyed it once again. And until next time.